for every business challenge, there's a solution. The Big Small Business Show is made possible by MTN Business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today. On the menu today, um, are you doing that? Are you switching the phone off for, for six weeks? Absolutely. You, you are? Yeah, so, so I, I watch the chaos and I sometimes see it before my team see it and I know what's going to happen and I let it happen. Therefore, ethical leadership and the subject of integrity for me go hand in hand, two sides of the same coin. What is pitch and polish okay. and, and why, did it, <laughs> why are you doing it? Welcome to the Big Small Business Show. That was pretty imperfect. And we as entrepreneurs live in an imperfect world. Here's something of beauty. Here a beautiful flower, but it's imperfect. Look, it's got its blemishes on it. We've got uh, shadows in the background. We've got wires all over the place. Yet we just have to deal with it as uh, entrepreneurs. And that is really the success of uh, great entrepreneurs is learning to work within a space of imperfection and accepting one's own imperfection as an entrepreneur and always striving towards a place one can never get, which is perfection. Welcome to our panel discussion today. Yeah, we are with uh, Hudson Rath. He's the founder and chief rebel or anti-rebel. You'll see. You'll see. We, you're going to see, this, this is going to be an interesting one, of a company called Enterprise Ethanol. Um, let's, let's start off. First of all, welcome. Thanks. Okay, thank, okay. the, the audience will see what I see in you, the anti-rebel. Sure. <laughs> I hope I can live up to it. So let's start off with what, what is uh, ethanol? So, yeah, I think that's, that's the best place to start. So ethanol is just alcohol. It's ethyl alcohol. So it's the same. It's the same alcohol that uh, people would be familiar with in their in their beverages on the on the weekend. And and how how did you come to be in this business? Quite an obscure business. I agree. So I think I sort of had a this should exist moment. Um, I, as a youngster, I was a small time uh, perfume manufacturer, and one of the hardest. It's a critical ingredient in perfume. Right. It's it makes up the bulk of of the perfume product. And so as a small time producer, I battled to get ethanol and I said, this should exist. Um, and that's how it started. So what do you do after that? So it, but it does exist. There is ethanol. Yes. Yeah, so the access is difficult. So, so, so ethanol is a critical ingredient in many, in many products. So I think the vast majority of alcohol, ethanol alcohol, is, is used in what we call industrial products. So it's not in the beverage industry. Um, but because it's so highly legislated and taxed, uh, it's dangerous and flammable. Um, you need a license, for example, in South Africa to purchase it. So, so as a small-time manufacturer, the cost to comply was just too much. So in, in essence, we decided, let's go down this route, and it took a couple of years to figure this out, but we got all the compliance. We were able to buy the ethanol and service these small customers, as I was that customer before. When you're saying service, you mean supplying them with alcohol? Yes. Okay, ethanol. Yes. Right. So I would typically be in an industry where I wouldn't be a big manufacturer of yes. something. 
I would require, relatively speaking, small volumes. Yes. My compliance costs would be too high to run that myself. Yes. And that's where you enter the picture. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, I think the, the challenge there is the smaller you are, the harder it is to access. And I think in this day and age, I think the side hustle is a real thing. It's a real trend. I would say probably 20% of, of our volume goes to people who have a job but have a business on the side. And it's actually adding up to a substantial volume. And what, what typically are these products that, that, uh, that your clients are producing? Okay, so, so we, would take, we would take ethanol and we would say, okay, it's, it's used in that, that product, that product, that, like, so for example, perfumes is a big, is a big uh, part of our business. Uh, it's also used, it's a solvent, so it, it carries something. Mm. So it's used in petrol. I mean, uh, we're getting some, uh, people are making now this whole uh, cannabis oil phenomenon. Mm. People need to extract the cannabis Is oil. Is that the sideline thing that you're talking about? That, that, that we get, they add up, we get a lot of inquiries. It's unbelievable. So we pick up these trends. And because it's, it's such a credit, you can't do without it. You cannot make a perfume without it. So eventually those inquiries come to us. Mm-hmm. All right, so, so now you, you decide to, to go into this and now you have to find people who can do it. Yeah. What t- who typically works for you? I mean, you're a, you're a team of 12 people yeah. now. So what are those made up Yeah, of? so it's, it's split into, into half. Um, half would be on the production side. So, so we, the way we comply is by adding, we spoil the product on purpose. Mm-hmm. So. I proved to this to to the to the authorities that I've added something to this ethanol that makes it undrinkable, but perfectly suitable for a perfume. So now the duty falls away, which is the complexity for the for the small business owner. He would have had to pay a huge duty, which would have made his product unviable. So half the half the team are on the production side, adding these things on the you know packaging the products, delivering the products. The other half are accounts, sales, and and uh, marketing you know so so now you you've uh, you've got all these people now you're growing and and one of the questions that you've put down for, for us is about how to basically make this business run without you mm-hmm. and you 12 12 people in the business why is it important for you to start thinking about that now because generally that's quite manageable yeah i think i think i've 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 engaged and studied a lot of small medium sized businesses and I, and i see that the founders stay for, I think, for too long. And you've, you're going to have to do it at some point to become a proper business. You know, you've got to differentiate between, is this my job? Am I going to run this company and the, the company relies on me? And the test I often say is, if I turn off my phone for six weeks, what happens? If it turns off for six weeks and the business fails in that time, I don't have a business. I've just created a job for myself. So from day one, I wanted to have a business, not, not a job. So I think now, now's the time. Start, start early. Um, Bring on the brightest people you can afford and that you can attract. Let them make mistakes, um, but they will they will ultimately grow and run the business and give them give them space, give them lots of autonomy, um, make it more attractive to work for a small company than a big company. And the, one of the ways you've done that is by giving unlimited leave. Yeah. Okay. Talk so I mean, we, we're figuring that. this out as we go along, and and this is one of the things. And and I think, I think my staff go out there and boast to their friends, hey, you know, in our company we have unlimited leave. And then they say, oh, do you guys have a job for me there too? So I think at this stage we've got to attract the right talent. Is it working at the moment? Yeah, it is, because we're small. Mm. Uh, w- will it always work? I don't know, but we'll figure it out as we go. But 
uh, in this day and age, people are autonomous. You know, Alon, I don't think that my staff, your staff, people are running their own lives well by themselves. The minute they walk into your door, they don't become like, they don't lose their brains and I have to be managed, I don't think. And so I think the more autonomy you give people and say, you're an amazing person, adult, and you can figure these things out. You'll figure out when to take your leave or not. You know your metrics, and that's all that counts. Because I was in the seat, I don't think equals results for the business. I think, I think we need, as, as, as businesses globally, we need to think about that one. Mm. Does it really equal results? And I'm not so sure. So, and, and also, I think alone, as a small company, we can experiment with these things easier than a big company. So when you've got the chance, try it out, take it. You know? We're going to have to take a break now. I told you it was the anti-rebel. Try and work out what that means. Uh, uh, we're going to take a break now, and when we're back, we're going to continue uh, investigating further uh, what uh, this business does and, and perhaps some of the issues that you might be sharing as well. We continue our conversation with uh, Hudson Roth, he's the founder of Enterprise Ethanol and uh, before the break we were talking about uh, what the business does, how it started um, and uh, some of the issues, in t uh, one being attracting the right uh, staff. So when we're talking about uh, building a team, you have a team of 12 and I anticipate that you're wanting to grow that. It's also about building a culture, and you say, you, you, you're thinking about building culture, strong culture, right now. Just elaborate more on that. Yeah, so I think for myself as an entrepreneur, I think the one thing that I would take as I, as I am able to leave this business as the founder and start more is, is take that culture with me. Yes. I, think, I think the world is so complex that I don't think the founders have all the answers anymore. Mm. The more you can attract the right people, give them what they want. People are... Are autonomous. They can run their own lives. I don't know if you remember, like five years ago, companies were blocking Facebook, in, and now you, if you do that, everyone would leave your company. And just to show you where it's going. So I think, for me, it's, if I can create an autonomous culture where people can come in and find their own purpose, it's better for business in general. It's, it's not some I'm um, doing good for people. I think it works better for business, and especially because things are so complex, you need the brightest minds to figure it out together. And and. When you talk about this kind of um, environment, because it sounds quite appealing, mm -hmm. and I'm sure it is, are there no abuses happening even now at 12 of, of that? Are there no, no, you talk about people saying, I want to work there. Yep. But what goes on in my mind when you say that is that, well, I'm just trading my higher salary for more leave. Mm. And effectively, I'm working at the same rate mm -hmm. or the same price per, per day. Yeah. You know, is, is there fault in my logic? Um, slightly, I think, I think we do try and pay really well. So, so we, we sort of would rather hire, it's a three to one ratio, we'd rather hire a really smart player than three average you know, bums in seats. Um, I think, but to, you, there can be abuses, so you are right in that thinking. I think the culture is binary. 
You either get it or you don't. And you cannot, if you don't get it, you will not last in that culture. And I think that's the important distinction. So the culture will spit you out. If you get it, it will really work well for you. How much of that culture is driven by, by yourself? So I think that is my primary job, is to drive only the culture. The interesting thing is sometimes our staff are so trained almost, um, you know, they've had maybe 10 years in a corporate and they don't understand this as well, even though it's, it's quite a human, it's a human nature to understand this type of thing. So, um, for example, people think they have to be in the office at eight, where I know you'll be more effective if you start at seven at home with coffee and comfortable at home, come in at 11, it's about the metrics. So interestingly, yeah, I spend my time um, actually coaching some of my team on how to be a, a human again. Let me ask you a hard question. This is a really hard question, okay? But I think you can handle it. The first point here that, you, that we've got on the notes here is managing the chaos of exponential growth, mm -hmm. okay? Picking the right fires to attend to. Mm -hmm. And I think on the surface of that, that seems like a very uh, normal question in the sense that any business that's in exponential growth has got a quite a lot of chaos as they're trying to work out how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. But how much do you think of that is as a result of the culture? In other words, the culture mm -hmm. is creating the chaos versus the growth creating the chaos. Mm -hmm. It's a great question. So I would rather the team learn in that time, even if the culture is partially responsible for creating the chaos. If we can get through that, we come out the other side a better business. Too many founders go straight to the fires. Too many businesses get where it's urgent, not the important. So it is actually our culture to let a fire burn. Because in a day, there are 20 things to choose from. You've got to pick the important one. In fact, there are more. The phones are ringing off the hook. Things are unattended. The emails are overflowing. But does, is it more important to go after that or something that's going to actually grow the business? So inherently, their culture is one of leaving fires to burn. So I hope that answers your question. And, and doesn't that eventually create an opportunity for a competitor to come in who is, in inverted commas, more organized mm -hmm. and, and will, will deal with those emails, potential clients, better than, than you're doing now? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm being, I, you're an interest, uh, you're the, one of the most interesting people I've had on the show because you, in, in many ways, are my antithesis. Okay. Not that I'm corporate, I'm certainly not corporate, mm -hmm. but I'm certainly about order. Mm -hmm. And you're about, you, you, that's why you said the, the anti-rebel, because there's a rebel who can still work within the context of order. It's, it just, it's a different order. Sure. But you seem to thrive on, on a different ph philosophy. Sure. And it seems to be working. And so I'm genuinely interested in yeah. how you're doing that. So I think, I think, yes, we're growing a great company that serves a need, something that should exist. But I think for me personally, I'm trying to grow a company and a culture that will exist beyond in, in, for the next 50 years. And, and this will be the style of business that we do. So, so yes, I think we're, we're a little bit countercultural in that sense. I think if a competitor starts and they're very organized and, and sort of straight and square, they, they may do well for a while, but we will overtake them in the long term as the complexity increases, as people get smart. The internet has just opened the veil, you know, people can figure out stuff really quickly these days. So there's no more secrets in business. So, so yeah, I, I think let them, I think, I think uh, 
it's, it's about the future for us, you know, and so we're doing it now rather than figuring it out later. You spoke of, of you know, switching your phone off for six weeks, mm -hmm. and it's quite interesting because um, one of the things, and I've spoken about that on the show, is every year I take an extra week off out of the business mm -hmm. to see what breaks without me, mm -hmm. very deliberately. I'm not, not working, I'm at home, mm -hmm. but I'm seeing what breaks without me, and then, then spend the balance of the year trying to fix that so I can do seven weeks the following, yes. following year, etc. Um, are you doing that? Are you switching the phone off for, for six weeks? Absolutely. You, you are? Yeah, so, so I, I watch the chaos and I sometimes see it before my team see it and I know what's going to happen and I let it happen. Um, I let it happen and I let them fix it. Is it, beca is it because that you are um, so monopolistic in terms of supply that you're, you're, the, the, the cost differential versus an alternative to you is so high that it's worth waiting for your, your company? So I, I would say we have an opportunity, we have a strong market position, so we're able to test these things at their extreme. Mm. So that's a good observation. Yeah. Okay. So because, because for me, when that disappears, because to your point around the fact that there are no secrets and eventually yes. you know, somebody else you know, will figure this out, and, and, and your, your hypothesis then is that your culture will be, at, at, uh, will be operating at such a different level. Absolutely. By then, it would have figured out almost how to self-heal itself much better than anyone who's coming I in. I hope so. It. I mean, yeah. I don't know the answer. I mean, that's a game, but that's why I'm so that's fascinated. A, so that's the risk I'm taking. I think a lot of founders in my position would take a defensive position. Mm. So they would start protecting what they have, mm. and they would go in and control everything in the business. Mm. And that's fine. But it, 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 it will only take you so far. I have a good opportunity to do it now, and I don't think most guys would take it because it's too risky. But because we're in a, we, we almost have a bit of open space to, to, to allow ourselves to do this. So let's do it. Let's take the chance. It's actually reduced the risk substantially. Yeah. We've got a minute left before we have to take a break. Another hard question. I'm loving this. You know, you feel like you, one of the few people can handle this. Are you worried about any of your, your team taking your inverted comma secrets and, and, um, and running away with them and starting you know, I, I wish all my staff would leave me one day and start their own business. If they choose to compete with us, that's fine. I think we have some good barriers to entry that took me as a founder working many hours a day when I was still quite young and able to do it to figure out all these things. I think there's a substantial risk to them and cost to them that, that and so I've, I've, I've half calculated that that probably won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a break now when we come back we're going to uh, have part three where I'm going to try really try hard to try and give some insight uh, to Hudson on, on uh, how to be thinking about the future of his business. We continue our very interesting uh, conversation with Hudson Roth. He's the founder of Enterprise Ethanol, um, a particularly interesting business. And uh, I have to say, I particularly enjoyed the last two uh, parts uh, to this panel discussion. And now I'm going to have to try and talk about how I see the business going forward based on some of the questions that you've spoken about here. And you've spoken about weaning the business off the founder. You've spoken about managing the chaos. You've asked about attracting and finding incredible talent. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if 
Truth be told, I think you're thinking about this, you, you intellectually engage all these questions yourself mm -hmm. and are looking for perhaps a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and, and, uh, and try and give you my perspective. I'm going to give you different perspectives and give, maybe mm. sort of share some of my journey uh, in, in, in building RaceCorp mm. and some of the similarities and differences and you can take from it what, what, what's important for you. When, when, when I started 18 years ago, I was deemed to be a, a pioneer in, in, in the space. That no one had heard of incubation. Mm. Everyone thought it had to do with babies and chickens myself included, by the way. And so there was an opportunity to forge a new industry in South Africa and sort of design the rules around, around that. And there was a particular attraction to, or the breaking of the rules was a particular attraction to all the people in the world that had done, had done so. And one of those people I came across was a guy called Ricardo Semler, who wrote a book called Maverick. Mm. And I think he was out of Brazil or Argentina, I can't mm. remember Brazil. what he was going to do with Brazil. And I even wrote to him and he wrote back to me and I was so excited. But I followed that, that whole journey around Ricardo Semler and whether it worked or, or, or works and everyone tried to emulate mm. that, that sense of letting people choose their own salaries. I mean, there was such a radical mm. concept of people saying, well, what salary do you want? And of course, when you look a little deeper, there's certain parameters within that. And um, so, some people, then you just read, try that, and they actually bomb at it, mm. okay? Some people try it uh, and do well at it, but most, they try to emulate what he did, bombed at it. Mm -hmm. So, I think what, what I'm really saying here to you is that you will be, in your journey, attracted to a lot of way out ideas, mm -hmm. okay? Um, some will work because, as you pointed out earlier, because of your size mm -hmm. and because of your personality. Mm -hmm. But as the business grows, and you, you and to, to excuse the pun, as, as your, your strength is distilled through a bigger and bigger volume of people, mm. okay? And so you get diluted, okay? So that will now structure will have to come into its place. Mm -hmm. so, so to me, um, I think that's, I think I'm saying two things. I'm saying number one, check yourself about how much of the rebel you're looking to find these particular things mm -hmm. that might be working. In other words, you're getting a false positive at this size. Okay. And, as, and, and I think you're aware of it, and, but you also are looking for them. Whereas I think that the, 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 the nuance is to try and create a brand new type of culture that is still born, it's not completely left field. That it's, it's a nuance on, on what is current. Yes. Okay, so it's a, and that they can last a lot longer because then your transition from small to big yes. will be a, a little smoother, in, in my opinion. Because we, we have, there was a whole thing around holistic, this whole thing about there's no hierarchy. Yes. Have you heard about that? Yeah, that will right? never work. Okay, no hierarchy. So, if, but when you look at it deeper, okay, there is hierarchy. Sure, okay. there is always. There, there is hierarchy. Yeah. So it's just, that it's just by a different label. But I it got a lot of global attention. It was in the Harvard Business Review, and everyone yeah. was thinking this is the new new. Yeah. And everyone went that way. It was route. a false. It was, yeah. Exactly. And I'm saying that I think you too, you, you're onto something too good 
for you to create uh, something by another name. Rather make something genuine that can authentically yes. scale versus something so far out that it actually just blows up after you at 25 people. I because agree. somebody is going to say, what well, you said, unlimited, so I'm not coming to work. Yeah. Okay. And now pay me. Yeah. And then the next person goes, well, he's doing it, so I'm doing it. And eventually half your workforce is doing it, and then you close your, 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 yeah. your business down. So I think that's your challenge. I would so agree with you. I think, I think you've nailed our challenge exactly. And this is, this is what keeps me up at night. But I think, so Ricardo Semler was ahead of his time. Mm. I think the world's caught up, mm. to, to be honest. I think this is what people are expecting, actually, as they become more autonomous. People are, are tired of being managed. And so, so I think... Actually, I'm just, I'm just in the right place at the right time. So I might just be lucky, but you're right. Time will tell um, whether this gamble worked or didn't. Yeah. And if it doesn't, uh, you and I can always sit with uh, some ethanol, yeah, exactly. with some flavoring, <laughs> some ice. <laughs> Would have been worth it. And cry over the, yeah. the outcome. But yeah. it's been a real privilege uh, spending time with you today. I think I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, the last uh, three um, insert, uh, inserts and... Uh, yeah, and I'm going to watch your, your story very, very closely. Excellent. And I hope we have you back when you're 25 uh, big or th and 30 big yeah. and see what's, then we'll see, uh, then, then see what's, what's changed. Yeah. And wishing you the best of luck. Thanks. Up next. It says, like in Crisis Management 101, always remember the people involved. This is the Big Small Business Show. Welcome to the leadership slot. And today we have somebody in studio with us who is absolutely no stranger to South Africa, no stranger to the subject of leadership, and that is Bonang Mohale. He is CEO of Business Leadership South Africa and doing some incredible work in the country at the moment. Now we've had Bonang on the show before, and uh, today we're going to pick up a different subject a uh, subject I think that's quite pertinent to where we are as a country and uh, um, even, and, and not necessarily, and we keep thinking about integrity, which is this, the subject, as something that uh, government needs to l listen out for, but equally so, uh, issues live within the corporate small business, you and I. If there's somebody being corrupt, uh, corrupt there's somebody corrupting them. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Alan. So integrity is, uh, is something we have to re-establish in, in the country. Integrity within government, integrity within big business, within small business, and also the integrity between one another. Absolutely. But you see, the broader subject is really leadership. Anybody that feels called upon to lead is a leader. In that context, for me, it starts with ethical leadership that then gives us good policies. With good policies, we have both business and consumer confidence heightened and increased. When that is in place, then you have an ability to attract and retain foreign direct investment. With FDI, then the economy grows. It's only when the economy grows that we create jobs. Therefore, jobs are a logical outcome. Nobody wakes up in the morning and say, I'm going to create jobs. But all of us wake up in the morning to say, Am I going to meet unmet needs for which I'm going to be paid? Therefore, ethical leadership 
and the subject of integrity for me go hand in hand, two sides of the same coin. It's good to have some sort of a compelling vision, have a bit of integrity, have a little bit of courage. Integrity matters because until and unless you can trust the leadership, until and unless you know that their intent is wholesome, until and unless you know that they have the best interest of South Africa Inc., not me, myself, I, self-centered and egocentric, they don't deserve our followership. So, so how do you, you we, we talk about integrity and they're talking about ethics classes, etc. But a cynical view is, says that you can't teach in a, when you're 20 something years old and older, you can't start teaching somebody ethics. It comes from the family, from the, from your, you know, your, your family, your community, it comes from there. I think the foundation helps because if you want a good nation, mm. you must have good communities. To have good communities, the smaller societies have to be in place. And lastly, the bedrock is the family unit. Um, Mother Teresa says, if you want a clean world, ensure that your backyard uh, is clean. Therefore, we take that very seriously because for us, the issue of integrity, yes, it's how you have been brought up, wholesomeness, um, good intentions, but also you can learn not to bribe, steal and cheat. You can learn to comply with laws and regulations. You can learn to comply with the Companies Act. You can learn uh, to comply with King 4. Therefore, for us, I think context is everything. In South Africa in this time, when so many of us dare to hope that joy and peace will prevail, what does that context tell us? The statistics are actually quite uh, frightening. More than 90% of the students at the University of Forte are totally dependent for their livelihood, not just tuition and accommodation or NESFAS. We talk about women and black people being spectators of their own lived experiences 24 years into democracy. We talk about gender equality and yet we're quite comfortable to pay women 74% of what we pay men for work of equal value. We're quite comfortable to sleep behind our big walls and yet we know that the majority of South Africans go to bed hungry. 17 million of them are on social security. 5.9 million young people are not gainfully employed, able-bodied. Most of them graduates want to work, but they can't find work. 10 million of them are not in education, employment, or training. So those statistics say to those who much is given, much is expected. But in our context, it's the dominant group that needs to start movement, Just that needs back, to reach out. Coming back to your statement about Mother Teresa, about having a, our clean yard, if we want a clean world, how as leaders then, if we want a clean and integrous South Africa, how do we start? What is the process of, uh, within our organization? Because the cynical response is that, that if I'm non-integrous as a leader, I don't care. I'm not going to create an integrous uh, organization. So if I am integrous and I have non-integrity within my organization, give me a couple of pointers on what I need to start doing I need to start thinking, acting. So long before we start talking about conscientious capital, long before we start talking about responsible investment, 
we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and reflect a little bit and say, but why are we in business? Because companies that are inappropriately located can always move their head office. Those that have wrong products and services can change those. But companies that are not putting people at the heart of their very existence as the most important asset to act in the best interest of these uh, individuals, I think you are missing the mark. And if you are not doing everything possible to spend the majority of your time on people issues, I think you're missing the point. Therefore, one of the key corporate governance and oversight responsibilities we have as leaders is to ensure that corporate decision making is consistent not only with the wishes of the shareholders but of the broader stakeholder community. Most importantly, in line with the commitments made by the executives. Because if those commitments have at their heart what's in the best interest of the people and therefore this entity, the duty of care, skill, diligence and faith, we will always look after our own employees first and foremost. So for me, how does it manifest? It says like in crisis management 101, always remember the people involved. I remember Adila Chowen, who did not get the CFO position because she's woman and she's black. Secondly, it's about telling the truth, the whole truth, but telling it quickly about the good and the bad. So when business is bad, you, your job as a leader is to say we're falling behind our plans, we need to take corrective action. When you're losing money, to say we're losing money for raising ABCD, therefore we need to start reducing our numbers. But sometimes you consciously say, we'll keep the numbers as they are, we need to find other ways in which we can save costs. That's honest, that's open, because the company that shares its monthly management accounts will not have tomorrow labor coming and demanding 6,800. They know what you can and can't afford, but they trust the figures. Just to, get, to, to summarize what I'm hearing here is that in order for an organization to act in integrity, it starts with acting in integrity with its own people okay, first. And that's where we start in integrity with our own people. And then that will then it, it reflect in, in the broader community. Is that a good summary? Oh, yes, absolutely. But also think about it. Before I can see humanity in you, I must acknowledge my own humanity. Therefore, if I know that I'm human, I see it in others. I am unlikely to do things that are inhumane to you, to act in a manner that is disadvantageous and deleterious to your well-being. That's why apartheid was a crime against humanity, because it was inhuman. It treated people as fourth-class citizens. It saw them as a crucible of labor, but with no self-worth. Mm. No self-respect, therefore no, not worthy of being consulted and being considered. That's why you could pay them only a tenth of what you pay white people. And you can pay women less than you pay men, even though there are more women in the world than there are men. And they are much more hardworking, cleverer, more educated, and much more intentional about work and companies that are led by women are much more happier. Mm -hmm. Therefore, that's why we say it's up to men to bring about gender equality. It's up to white people 
to ensure that we live in an egalitarian and fair and just equitable world because equality is not justice. We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing with us your thoughts on integrity and leadership. Uh, that's it for our leadership slot uh, for today. Uh, please stay tuned to find out what's coming up next on the show. They then compete, as I said, in the second round. And, and that's then, part of the prize is the training yes, program. Exactly, right? which in, a, in, in itself is worth about 150,000 rand. This is the Big Small Business Show, and in studio with us today, we have two lovely ladies. One is Bronwyn Eckhart. She is the project manager for Pitch and Polish, and the events coordinator for Pitch and Polish, Lerato Ramasodi. Welcome. Thank you. Right, so Pitch and Polish, as I understand, this is your ninth year. Mm -hmm. what, what is Pitch and Polish, okay. and, and why, did it, <laughs> why are you doing it? All right, so Engine Pitch and Polish is a national workshop and competition program aimed at teaching entrepreneurs how to pitch effectively to investors. So how we do this is we go around the country, um, some to major towns, but also some to smaller towns um, across South Africa. And the whole point of it is to get entrepreneurs thinking through the kinds of questions that an investor wants information to. So it's not... Um, done with some dude just standing on a stage going through a PowerPoint presentation. It's a, a workshop with a competition element that is very interactive and really does get those entrepreneurs thinking about just those basic questions that they often tend to forget about when it comes to pitching to investment. So, but so, 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 but mm. that sounds like a, like a one hour <coughs> event. This mm. is a full day event. This right? is a full day event. So all days on a Saturday. Um, we start at 8 with registration, workshop kicks off at 9 and uh, no matter what uh, sports game is on, they are all still there at 5 o'clock when we finish. So it's a full, intense, interactive day um, with uh, a lot of involvement from not only the workshop delegates but obviously then there's the, the contestants that uh, pitch during the day and everybody gets involved in questioning. and. And, and, and honing these pitching skills. So let me just get this right. You've mm. got the audience mm -hmm. who participate in our learning, and then you've yes. got the, the, uh, the, contestants. Those, the contestants. Yes. Those are the delegates, the contestants. Yes. The contestants, contestants compete yes. for the prize. Yes. Uh, what, what do the audience, other than obviously yeah. in education, what do they get? So um, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of a backtrack there and uh, just explain. So we have the workshop with the competition element. Um, the workshop is so that we can teach as many entrepreneurs every year as possible. Um, but if we have an event with 300 entrepreneurs, if every entrepreneur had to get up onto stage and pitch, we would never get to the learning part. Mm. So that's where the competition element comes in, where we pre-select contestants who then participate on the day and are kind of like our, our guinea pigs uh, or live examples, if you will, um, to the delegates of, of how to pitch, how not to pitch, what to say. And the delegates then get involved and even ask, you know, ask the contestants questions and really get into it. So what the delegates get out of it is 
again, not only the learning of the day, um, which is in, its, in and of itself amazing, um, but uh, we do provide them refreshments, they get lunch, they get snacks, they get goodie bags, but it's at the end of the day, it's the learning that they get out of it that's the most important thing. And we've had, um, you know, as you said, it's nine years into the program and I've had, uh, every year I get so many emails, not only from contestants, but from delegates as well, who have, you know, who literally just would say, you know, because of the confidence that we gained from what we learned, we then went on to do X, Y, and Z. So it's the learning ultimately that's the most important thing. Lerato, where where is this uh, actually taking place? It's already started, I understand. It's already started. We have we had a lovely one in um, Brackenfell in Cape Town. It went really well, mm -hmm. and we always try to visit different towns throughout the country. So this year, um, after Cape Town, we'll be looking at other uh, towns. We're going to Newcastle, Bloemfontein. Newcastle. Uh, Newcastle, mm -hmm. yes. It's our first time in Newcastle. <laughs> it will be our first time and we're really excited. I'm yeah. sure we're going to have a great time in Newcastle. Um, Bloemfontein is one of our amazing places that we go to. Durban, Nelspreet. Mm. Always a um, good one for us. Yeah. Grahamstown is also a first Yes, for us. a big first. Um, <laughs> as well as Emma Latley. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise known as Whitbank. Whitbank. <laughs> um, and then finally Johannesburg. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So, so probably it actually works like a competition with mm. a, a first round. Uh, and mm. Just explain the competition element. Okay. So the first round essentially is the workshop round. So that is where we go and host all the eight workshops in the eight uh, towns or cities across the country. So on a competition side, that is the first round of competition. Five contestants compete and there's one winner per town. At the end of that, there's then eight winners. They then compete in a second round of competition once they've spent a full week uh, going through a rigorous training program. They then compete, as I said, in the second round. And, and that's then, part of the prize is the training yes, program. Exactly, right? which in, a, in, in itself is worth about 150,000 Rand. Yes. Um, from there, they, five are then selected to pitch in the semi final. Um, and then from the semi-final, three are selected to pitch at the final, which is a very big, glitzy, glamorous event um, hosted in Joburg with a lot of media and, and very strategically invited uh, guests who, who are, are present. I, I remember I was at last year's mm. final and I remember the winner, uh, um, uh, there was somebody who offered two million yes, rand exactly. out of the audience exactly. to, to fund on the, the guy spot. and to, on yes. the spot. And two hundred and forty thousand, two fifty thousand exactly. acres. was looking for, yeah. yeah. So, so those kind of give us. We, we've got mm. two minutes left, and I want to get mm. to how you enter now. But so, very briefly, mm. uh, give us a, a, a some of uh, an example of some of our winners in the past. Mm. Okay, so um, my favorite one, who's actually been on your show before, who I, I have to bring up time and time again, is Nflakanipo. Uh, so Nflakanipo Shangi, he. Um, runs a advertising business. Uh, he pitched in Durban with just an idea in 2013. Fast forward now to 20, where are we, 2018. And, uh, and uh, he now has a, 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 a business that is, is running both in Durban and Johannesburg. He is a service provider now to pitch and polish as well. He does our flyer activations across the country. Um, and, and he is employing people, which is also part of why we're doing this, is, is to get these entrepreneurs to actually go forward with these businesses. Um, so we have him. We have Bruce, who, who was the winner last year, who has 
uh, we just did a success story with him and he's gone on to do the most amazing things in the agricultural space. Um, and I could go on and on and on, <laughs> you know. We, so we, we have a lot of these stories, but not just from contestants, from delegates as well who, who come they even, you know, there's one contestant, his name is Lee, and he comes every single year to Durban. And every year he brings a whole crowd of different people. And last year he had his whole family there. And, you know, he keeps coming back and keeps bringing people back. In fact, we've had Lee on the show too. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, just to give your viewers some context, so Lee, based on what he learned at Pitch and Polish, he, ate, he attended an event um, in Durban that I was actually at, and he overheard um, two guests speaking, and he realized that the one guest was the exact person he needed to speak to in a very large corporate and she was leaving and he literally had that elevator ride two floors down to pitch to her and he did it and he secured an appointment so you know that's part of what we're, we teach through this program as well as being able to pitch anytime anywhere no matter what so Lorato, yeah. just uh, just quickly, if, if I'm watching, I'm I'm also excited myself. <laughs> just listen to you. Where, where how do I uh, enter uh, this? Or if if mm. I, even if I want to come to to Newcastle and I don't want to mm. be a contestant, but I just want to be part of the day, get the prize, yeah. the, the the goodie bags and, and the lunch <laughs> and, and some learning and some learning. Yeah. Okay, so you can SMS um, your name and the word pitch P I T C H to the number four three seven one nine. Uh, you can also log on to the Pitch and Polish website, www.pitchandpolish.com. Pitch, A-N-D-O-M-N-T-R-S-A-N-D. Pitch, A-N-D, full words. Pitchandpolish.com. And on there, you'll be able to see the full schedule of the dates, the venues of the different cities. And you can click here on the different ones where you'd like to attend and complete a registration form. So that is yeah. both for the competition and, and the, workshop. the workshop. And if I can just add for those folks um, who want to make it easy and are, are social media savvy, they can even go onto our social media platforms pitch them at Pitch and Polish on Twitter, on Facebook, and uh, sign up there as well, or even yes. just send us a message. Florian Dorato, with all that energy, <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, thanks awesome. for, for being on the show, and good luck with Thank the engine you. Pitch and Polish. Thank you very much. Thank you. Please stay tuned for my reflections on the entrepreneurial journey. Well, it's time for my reflections for today, and I want to talk about the interview with Hudson. You did see how much I enjoyed that interview, and I enjoyed the approach and, and very much the authenticity about how Hudson was thinking about his business. But that really brings up um, a, a concept for me about the difference between what I call Newtonian physics and quantum physics. And really what this is, is in Newtonian physics we have a certain set of rules and laws about physical laws, how the universe operates. And, and when you get to, the, uh, to sub um, particles or the atomic particles, a different set of rules and laws apply, quantum physics applies. And so, so there isn't one set of rules that, that controls all uh, situations and that's very much the same thing that happens in small business and big business. What works in small business doesn't necessarily work in bus big business. But it's not a binary thing where, where uh, one day you become a big business and the rules change. It actually is a quite a, a transient step change in, in, in how the rules move from a small business to a big business. What the research shows is that there are two very important inflection points in a business's life uh, uh, when it's growing. That is when it gets to 50 people big and 150 people big because the length of time um, 
it takes for a business to get to 50 is very often the same amount of time that it takes to get to 150 uh, just from a time. But the amount of complexity between 50 and 150 is not two times as in another 50 and another 50, but it's, it's thousands of percents um, more complex an environment. And so a different set of rules needs to apply at that point. So very often you will see that in, in the US, uh, companies don't allow more than 150 in, in people in a building and they, uh, they limit their car parks to 150 because actually the rules of the game change over 150. Um, and the last point I think that does, is true for both quantum and Newtonian in this, in this example is the fact that leadership is an important part in both, whether you're a small business or large business, but the type of leadership needs to change. Just some of the thoughts from today's show. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember, if you think it, write it down and make it a reality. Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today. Everywhere you go, MTN.